0: This episode of Kidlit These Days is sponsored by Read Harder. Book Riot's annual challenge is back! Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read a romance by a trans or non-binary author, Nonfiction about anti-racism, middle grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com/readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com/readharder. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Kidlit These Days, a book riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on December 6th, 2020, and on today's episode, we are talking about the hard stuff. You know, all those tough questions kids throw at the adults in their life as they encounter new-to-them concepts such as divorce, anxiety, and gender identity. But first, Nicole, it's been an entire month since we talked. It's
1: been a whole month, (laughs) Matthew. (laughs) Hello, Nicole. (laughs) Hello.
0: How are you? I'm good. You feel like... Normalcy to me. I like that. Since I last <laughs> talked to you, things went from feeling bizarre to starting to feel a little more normal. We have an normal. election resulted. We mm-hmm. have, uh, we have, um, oh, we have vaccines that are going <laughs> to yeah. be rolled out across the yeah. country. And we have you and I reuniting.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All on the same level. Every last one of those things. <laughs> they sort of, because of, you know, the, uh,
0: the, the sort of, COVID malaise, they, they sort of do feel like on the same level to me.
1: <laughs> it's like connect with a friend, vaccine, also election. Yes, check, check, check.
0: All the same. <laughs> also, put on clean clothes today. Check. Check. Also. Well,
1: how, how have you been?
0: What's been going on in the past month?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I was dancing out in the streets uh, post the election, which made me really happy. Um, What else have I been doing? I've been buying a house, as I told you, so I'm feeling very adult these days. Um, And I think in general, just reading good books. How about you? What's been going on?
0: I've been working on my middle grade graphic novel that that I co-author, which is wonderful. I've been listening to a ton of of audiobooks uh including I'm currently listening to Apple which is the um memoir in verse of Eric Gansworth who is a, a a notable YA indigenous author. Uh I've just been reading and reading and reading as much as I can. I've been reading some amazing comics too. Have you ever read um we've talked about here um a, a, a series called This Place 150 Years. It's a graphic novel uh, anthology of of history stories from, indigenous history stories from Canada.
1: Yes, Amazing. you told me about it. Okay, yes.
0: cool. So that same publisher, Highwater Press, has a, a graphic novel series called Surviving the City, which is written by Tasha Spillett and Natasha Donovan. Um, and I just read the, 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 I reread the first book so that I could read the sequel. The sequel is called From the Roots Up, and it's about to spirit Individuals, which is to say it's about queer Indigenous people. Uh, and it, it was just wonderful. So I'm, I'm, I I'm, feel like I'm really reading some outstanding books. Not that they're brand new, but they're definitely new to me. And I've just been enjoying my reading life.
1: I love that. I, um, Well, I'll talk about it later when we get to book talk, but I have just started reading a new Jacqueline Woodson. Um, and she's always terrific, so yeah, I'm excited.
0: I look forward to getting the audiobook of that one. I, she often reads her audiobooks, and uh, so I, I look forward to um, checking well, I look forward to checking it out and also hearing what you think, of course. Um, okay, well why don't we uh, get into our, our, our sponsor? Would you mind sharing our next sponsor?:
1: For sure, this episode is sponsored by The Captive Kingdom by Jennifer Nielsen from Scholastic. Return to the world of the best-selling series, The False Prince. The highly anticipated fourth book, The Captive Kingdom, is here. During a routine sea voyage, Jaren, the Ascendant King, is taken hostage. The mysterious captors accuse him of unthinkable acts and are in possession of some shocking information that forces Jaren to consider the impossible. Could his brothers still be alive? Return to Carthia to uncover new secrets, high-stakes action, and breathtaking twists.
0: Wonderful. So, Nicole, let's get into our topic. I want to ask you, I want to take you back to childhood, and I'm willingly going back so we can have Kid Matthew, Kid Nicole in conversation. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Can you remember some of the tough questions that, that you stumped adults with as a child? Or maybe... Any questions from kids in your life that they've thrown your way that sort of just you've you've had to pause and think about how you were going to answer them?
1: Yeah, I um, death of course is always I think a tough one for adults to figure out the right way to talk to kids about it. So I remember having questions about my grandmother's pets dying, who were basically like our our pets because I didn't have pets growing up. Um, I also remember asking a Sunday school teacher one time. Who's, who God's parents were, because we were having this whole conversation about God. And I was like, well, who are God's parents? Um, which was, a, I think, a stumper. So yeah, um, I think death is one that comes up a lot. And I think when children in my life ask about it, I want to be sensitive to like the faith traditions that their their families might have, um, but also just help answer the questions that are tough for them around around death and dying. How about you?
0: I think similarly, if I'm remembering from... From childhood, I think a lot of the big questions I had were about religion my my family went to church or I guess they still go to church regularly um and and brought me up in the church in that way so a lot of my questions from what I can recall were were around why with religion why why is this this way why is that that way sort of why do we hold the traditions that we hold uh, I also think a lot about I can remember one time we were at maybe a gas station or something. This is a very, very young memory when I still lived in Williamsport, Pennsylvania with my family. And uh, there was a, a homeless individual outside of somewhere where we were going, maybe dropping off insurance papers or something. It was an odd building in my memory. But I remember going home. We weren't far from that place. And we made that person a, uh, like a bag lunch and brought it back to them. And I remember having questions on our way to the house and then going back and giving this bag of probably like a turkey sandwich and bottle of water and who knows what else for this individual. But things like that, things that were outside of my experience, I remember asking lots of questions for, and, and we've brought up on this podcast before, that in the past, too, some of those questions were were sort of met with I don't know if you would say like shame, like like oh don't ask that question or or don't mm-hmm. don't stare don't look at that person, mm-hmm. uh, which which was my parents doing their best to raise me and and not perhaps make me other someone else or the way they are different from me, but. I think in looking for ways to engage children in those answers, really, I'm a school librarian. I feel like what I do is invite children to bring questions to me and then we find answers. So it, it's it been a bit different in the library because I do get a lot of questions from kids. And some of that is because of the the way that I teach them and the topics that I choose to center with them. Whenever we get questions about like, Why? Why racism? Racism Mm is stupid. You're right. I mean, I've brought that up here on this podcast again. Whenever kids say those profound things to me, I I always just, yes and them. You're right. It is stupid. And it's something that, unfortunately, lots and lots of decisions were made on top of. And so now we have to deal with it. But I think... mm, Oh, no, go ahead. No, I I don't know. I'm just sort of chewing on how magnificent children are because they do ask questions.
1: They do. And I think I love your approach and like what you're saying in terms of having children bring questions to you. And I think one thing that my mom did so well when I was a kid was make room for questions all the time. And for me to challenge, I think that was overwhelming for other adults in my life because they were not used to somebody who was used to like challenging, you know, but my mother did such a good job of just making room for questions. Um, and I think it's just such a critical thing. And also, um, for moments where we would have to learn together, you know, like I just remember because back when I was growing up, we had encyclopedias, like actually printed out encyclopedias. So, um, you know, her being like, well, I don't know the answer, but go look in the encyclopedia, you know? Mm. Um, and that being a thing that we had to do together sometimes. Um, and of course that doesn't work with things that are much more nuanced, like death or, or, um, encountering disability or encountering anxiety or um, explaining, you know, gender identity. But still there are like, there's this, the process there was around like, let's learn together. I don't necessarily know the answer to this. Let's learn together. And I love that that's your approach. And I think it's, it's just critical. It's like displaying to children that, that you are also a learner and that you all can learn this thing together, you know?
0: Yeah. And this experience that you had, as did I growing up, that we didn't If the answer wasn't printed somewhere, we couldn't really find it unless our parents just knew it. And in that case, we were trusting that what they were sharing with us was true and accurate. Now, as a librarian, we deal with sort of the opposite. I don't know if I would call it the opposite problem, but all of the answers appear to be available on the internet. And now we have to help teach children how to sort through that noise Mm -hmm. and find resources that they can trust, as opposed to... I mean, I think when I used to go to the library and find answers in a book, I just believed because the author has authority to write that subject, they must be true. Now I look to with my students, I'm so grateful to work in a school with such outstanding educators. And I think about how closely I work with my fourth grade team. Those teachers in the fourth grade team are on the same level of the building as the library. So we just cross paths constantly. And um, one of my colleagues, Miss Mecca, introduced me last year to this wonderful series called Kids Meet. And it's a YouTube series from Hi Ho. I have brought it up on this podcast before. I can't remember when. It uh, doesn't matter. Um, this is a, a video series where children meet uh, a, a person that's, potentially different from them or has a different experience from them they have ones like kids meet a magician kids meet a dog trainer they also have and i've highlighted a number in our show notes (laughs) they also have kids meet a transgender soldier kids meet a person with cerebral palsy kids meet a person with alopecia kids meet this is the one of the most powerful ones i've seen kids meet a woman with tourette's uh more recent ones, I'm going to just read them all. Uh, Kids Meet a Drag Queen uh, is one I've shared a lot with students, oftentimes linking them with books that I've read. So this, this YouTube series has become sort of a companion to my teaching in so many different ways. Uh, but, but there's also new ones that they're producing over Zoom uh, or Skype, including Kids Meet a Young Adult in Hospice kids meet a nurse on the front lines of COVID-19. And the one we were laughing about, or I was laughing about introducing it to you before recording, kids meet a virologist in which this virologist uh, talks about working with viruses and talks about what a virologist is, but he is just, he has like super long wavy hair. I'd said he looks like a a heavy metal guitarist. And in fact, he's wearing a t-shirt of suffocation, which is a heavy metal band and he just it's like lo- the
1: exact opposite of Anthony Fauci. Go on. Uh-huh. He just looks rad. And it's <laughs> that. It's that.
0: There's also a... I need to find the link to share with you. But in one of the books that I'm going to talk about later in our book talking segment, they talk about a child with Down syndrome. And to support when I was reading this book to students, I found a wonderful series out of Canada of individuals with Down Syndrome explaining their experience uh, with one question answers. So these are only like one minute long videos. But um, like, what is Down Syndrome? How do you get it? Um, Does it affect how you learn? Uh, Something like 15 or 20 different questions and different individuals, uh, all different ages, answering these questions. And it's beautiful. And it puts a face to an idea in a way that I didn't have that in the past. I didn't have the environment to just ask questions the way that I feel like I'm able to provide my students now.
1: I love that. I I just also love, um, you know, we've been exploring the limits of how technology can build com- community in the past, you know, nine months or so, but I do think that, um, there is, is greater access to different experiences, right? And I think that this series is just one example of that. Um, I, I think also about, you know, I, you and I have talked before about um, how do we talk to kids who don't have disabilities, able-bodied kids, about the experience of living with disabilities, right, looking for kids literature that supports that. Um, but there are just so many more resources online um, from people with disabilities talking about their experience and about how they talk to kids about that experience um, that I've gone to um, a number of times also. So, yeah, I think that that is amazing.
0: Well, boy, do I have (laughs) a guest for you today, Nicole. A person that has been asking, what do you do when kids have questions and you need answers? (laughs) So... Jelani Memory is our guest today. And Jelani Memory is an African American entrepreneur, thinker, and constant learner. This is uh, from his bio, although I could probably talk him up a ton too. He lives in Portland, Oregon with his wife and six kids, and uh, he still wants to be an artist when he grows up. So (laughs) a kid's book about all started with one book written by co-founder and CEO Jelani Memory. As a Black father with a blended family, racism was an inevitable topic of conversation, and he wanted to find a way to talk to his kids about racism in an honest way that would connect with them. And that's how a kid's book about racism came to be. He thought he'd only print one copy, but it turns out this was a conversation many parents were struggling to have with their kids. And that one book turned into several thousand. And soon he realized that there were so many more conversations to be had that parents could use a little help with. So please welcome our guest, Jelani Memory, founder or co-founder and CEO of A Kid's Book About.
2: Hi. Hi. My name is Jelani Memory. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, And I'm the founder of A Kid's Book About, uh, a little children's book publishing company that makes challenging, empowering and important books for kids.
0: I am so glad you're here, Jelani. I have known of your books for, I don't know, like maybe a year or so. Um, And I perhaps like other people that have seen a kid's book about on Instagram or other social media platforms. I had always seen the covers and the topics and thought, well, this is something that seems interesting, but <laughs> what is it? And when I got my hands on your books, I, uh, I've i said on episodes in the past on KidLit these days, it just was something that I hadn't seen before, unlike anything I'd Mm -hmm. read before. So I'd love to invite you to share a little bit about that. Can you share what spark first led to the creation of a kid's book about?
2: Yeah, well, that's, this is very kind of you to say. And I think as, as all good things go, it happened completely by accident. Um, so it, it was never supposed to be a series of books. It was never supposed to be even a single published book. It was really meant to be one book for my six kids. So I wrote a kid's book about racism uh, myself. Uh, I designed it and I, I printed a copy through a print on demand service. And it was meant to keep the conversation going with my own kids. I have, I have four white kids and two brown kids and I'm a person of color And we were already talking about race, culture, color, racism, but I wanted to keep it going. And I thought what a what a cool dad thing to do than like make a cool book about it. Um and and that was supposed to be it. You know, I got the copy in the mail, showed it to my kids. They thought it was really cool. And then and then something really special happened. When I showed it to other adults, their jaws kind of hit the floor. They were they were kind of amazed by it. And I was I was really shy about the book. Um, I don't feel like I'm an expert on racism. I just happen to be a black man in America who's experienced it my entire life. Um, so that maybe makes me an expert, I suppose. So I wrote it for my kids. And that response from adults was profound in two ways. One, they always wanted to take it home and read it with their kids. But two, they encouraged me to think about making more more a kids book about but on other topics that were difficult to talk about that were hard to bring up something about my book was creating permission with these adults to to talk about and bring up hard things themselves and so that's really where it started and and once I sat down to make that list of all the tough things to talk about with a kid I just couldn't stop it, there were just so many things that I knew that I was going to need to talk about with my kids. And yet I didn't know what to say, or I didn't know how to say it, or I didn't know when to say it. And so what what better resource than these very straightforward books that treated kids like they were smart and helped adults along in that conversation and started some of the most meaningful conversations that could happen between a grown-up and a kid. So that's that's really the story of how we got started.
0: I I think one I think these that it's awesome that you made a book for you and other people were <laughs> like um can I get a copy of that that's <laughs> amazing and flattering I'm sure it felt and I I think that you know so as a person that reads a lot of books as a librarian I read a lot of books surprise um but there's this book that you might be familiar with having read it to your children called The Book With No Pictures
2: yeah by BJ Novak, Novak right yeah
0: and what happens when books like the book with no pictures come out and are hugely popular is that you end up getting other people making books that are sort of similar, or maybe rather mm-hmm. we would say in publishing that the success of, you know, the, the the sales of that book allow opportunity for other people writing similar books to have that sort of happen. Like books breaking the fourth wall suddenly allowed lots and lots of books breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. to happen. But what I find profoundly interesting about your books is that you are you're not using pictures in the books but you're using graphic design and just unbroken i want to say dialogue but it's not a back and forth with children but it is Mm. uh an unbroken dialogue with children may i read some of your book to you that's the easiest way for me to do this
2: oh yeah i I won't turn you down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am always asking that question. And I'm so grateful that people say yes because, Jelani, I don't know what's going to happen when somebody says no. But (laughs) (laughs) you write, I don't even know where to start. But if I start here a couple of pages in, um, it says, uh, I am proud of who I am and the color of my skin. But because of my skin color, people aren't always nice to me. Sometimes I get called names. Other times, it's worse. The person doing it might not even realize that it hurts me a lot. And when they treat me that way, it makes me feel small. You see, some people believe that having different color skin means you aren't as good as others. That's called racism. What is racism? Racism means to hate someone, exclude them, or treat them badly because of their race or the color of their skin, and it happens all the time. I'm going to force myself to stop reading your book because <laughs> it does just flow. And it's beautiful that way. And I love that you start each book with these intros that that say, you know, this is, this is a book that's better together. This book is best read together with a grown-up and a kid. And then you have an intro that... That prefaces the voice that's about to talk to you. And I like that you you have that space. And I want to talk about the design of these books. When you were making this for you, when you were making this for you and your kids, um, I should just out myself and say, I've described this book as like a graphic interpretation of a TED Talk. That's what it feels <laughs> like to me. And I love that. But did you always have this format in mind of text on paper with, uh, you know, limited text. So we have a lot of white space, a lot of blank space and really control of color, maybe two or three different colors and um, playing with font and and, and size of font to really convey feeling, emotion. Was that the format you always had in mind? Or maybe you come from a graphic design background. What was that process like to, to try to get this right?
2: Yeah. So there's, there's a handful of influences that go in. Uh, and I would, I would be remiss if I didn't give a lot of credit to BJ Novak's the book with no pictures. It was, um, it was a massive inspiration. It's a beautiful book. It's well laid out. It's hilarious. And it's a very self-aware book. It knows it's a book, right? Um, And so this action of turning pages and the discovery of new words and this idea that there's a reader there and the book knows there's a reader and the sort of compulsion to read what's on the page. I loved the self-awareness of that. It was it was not just breaking the fourth wall. It was breaking some sort of idea of what it means to be here and sitting and reading a book. Yeah. So that was an influence for sure. Um, but where's that book fall short? And this isn't the book's intention. Um, and so it's hard to fault it, but it's not really saying much. Um, and so I, I borrowed it in some sense as a format to go, you know what? You don't quite need pictures in a book to say something. So I'm going to, I'm going to steal a little bit from this, um, and, and, and as I was creating my own book and thinking about my kids and, and my background and the topic that I wanted to address in both my abilities, I'm not an illustrator. I could probably illustrate something and it would look OK. I'm, I'm not that bad, but uh, I'm more of a designer by trade. And so I thought I'll bring what I know to this since the ambition is very small and, and, um, and I'll be inspired by the book with no pictures while also not being beholden to it. But I'm going to dive into something that is not merely uh, entertaining or funny or interesting, but is deeply hard to talk about racism. I'm going to talk about a thing that even adults with every fiber in their being will avoid talking about at every turn, right? Um, a thing you just don't bring up at dinner parties. Uh, and for me, The idea of illustrations being in that very straightforward, straight talk, um, right on the nose kind of language felt like the wrong thing. It felt like I might cheapen it or that I might be trying to uh, talk down to kids or entertain them. Um, And so I I, I made a few decisions uh, built on a, a, a few core ideas. One was that kids could handle it not just the topic, kids could handle the topic, but kids could also handle the restrained, thoughtful approach in the design, that they didn't need the pictures, that it was really about the story and the ideas and the words, and if we could carry them through with that, they would connect with it. And again, I'm, I'm thinking mostly about my own kids, but just a general philosophy around kids themselves. Kids always are surprising adults at every turn. So when it came to designing my book, I was playing with my strengths. I was being inspired, um, you know, by the book with no pictures. I was giving the weight and the gravity to the topic. Um, And then, you know, this last little sort of twist is I was doing something unconventional. I mean, who makes a kid's book on racism first? And also, who makes it without including any pictures? (laughs) And and yet for me, it was so crucial to to have a thing that I wanted to look at, that I wanted to connect with, that I thought was interesting as as just a highly creative person. Um, I wanted to make a piece of art to, to some extent. Um, and, and so everything sort of combined together, you take any one of the parts and it might fall flat, but all those pieces together, they somehow kind of worked. And again, even then, when I got that printed copy in the mail, one single copy, I didn't know what I had on my hands. I thought it was interesting. I didn't think it was going to be life changing and and that's the feedback that I got when I showed it to other folks and and really gave me the courage to go what if more and I can tell you when we started to think about making other books that's when you you, you, you got to trust yourself and go what worked about this first book we have to believe that it can work again and yeah. again and again And and that we don't have to change the title structure. It can still be a kid's book about and and that we can have these really clear intros in the front and that we can talk very directly to kids from a first person and we can use type, color, layout and design to communicate across these 64 pages and kids will connect with it. And they won't miss the fuzzy, furry bunnies or the, you know, beautiful illustrations, uh, you know, done in watercolor. They won't miss those because we're offering them something sort of totally new, totally refreshing, and totally respectful of their their minds and their hearts.
0: I think that you're also. And this is coming from a person who's used the books in front of children, like a class of children in the in the school setting. So maybe you've heard this feedback before, but I find in reading this to children that there's there's such a draw from the design of the books that it makes children want to share information in that way too, to pace information, to play with a page turn mm. and font size. And I think that that is giving children a way to share their own stories in an unconventional way, in a way that as, as you were sharing about seeing the book with no pictures, that it sort of unlocks something in your brain that goes, wait, I I can play with these tools to make something else. Um, mm. I, I think that sharing tools like that and allowing um, others to play alongside you is just a really cool thing. And in in saying that, Jelani, you've invited you've invited literally other people to play in this world with your set of tools. You have other authors talking in these books to children about bullying and belonging and divorce and quite frankly, my favorite disabilities. I thought that one, I don't know. Maybe that's not my favorite. Maybe the depression one is. Maybe maybe all of the things that hit home to me when I read it and go, if I had this when I was growing up, if I had someone mm-hmm. even that could have talked to me, because as a parent, I don't always know how to talk to these things, to talk to these topics with a child. And, and having another voice talk and allowing that voice to also come out of my lips and then having my child ask questions and I step in to answer or talk about or to think or wrestle with different topics with my child is something that I think is afforded to the parent and the child because of the tools that you're playing with and the people that you've invited to play in this series with you. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you've done that.
2: Mm, Well, thank you. I I think that's a, that's a really great way to describe it. Um, and I, and I haven't even touched two things. Uh, One, uh, on, on your point from the, the kids' responses, my own children, the moment that I showed them my book, their first response was, can I make one too? That's beautiful. Can uh, I make one too. Yeah, exactly. And and they had they had immediately grok the f- format to go. Oh, a kids book about. Can I make a kids book about divorce? And I was like, whoa, but this just got real, real, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and in that way, where we invite others to to play with these tools, you know, I I am really proud that that we have an incredible diverse group of authors who otherwise would likely never get a book deal from any traditional publisher because they don't have a big platform. They don't have a huge mailing list. They don't have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, but I'll tell you what they do have. And this is what we really care about. They have a story. They have something to say, right? They have something to pass on to the next generation. And so we come alongside them and we create the book with them. Um, no author creates their book in, in a silo. We actually write most of the book in a one day workshop with the author where we bring them in for five hours and we co-create the book together. Wow. We use our storytelling abilities, um, our sense of uh, language with kids, our ability to ask questions like seven year olds. And they bring their (laughs) stories and we combine those two things together. And it's this magic recipe. And it's how I think we've been able to say things that have never really been said in kids books, because it's never been the intention of anyone ever making kids books to say these kinds of things. They've never given the platform to these individuals to share from their first person about what they think about, what they struggle with, what they go through, what their experiences are
0: that's, that's, you're literally playing with the other person. That's beautiful to create together. It's wonderful to hear that. How do you, with all of these topics that not only you were first brainstorming and feeling that, you know, like uh, um watershed moment of all the ideas you could do, but I'm sure uh, kids suggesting topics, teachers, parents suggesting, how do you determine what to do next? How, how, <laughs> how, what do you What do you do?
2: <laughs> yeah, this one, you know, we should have some really fancy answer, like we have a panel of parents and kids and psychologists, and you know, data that yeah. we use to inform all these decisions. And I can tell you, it it up to, up into this point, it's really been driven by me and my sensibilities and my, my thoughts and feelings around what I want to exist in the world for my own children in a lot of ways. And then, and then more so than that, it's been driven by uh, our, our team. You know, we're just uh, 10 people, but um, what's great is they all have ideas about what topics they want to do. And then further than that, our authors, they, they will often work on a book with us and go, oh, my gosh, um, do you have somebody for this topic? And we're oh. like, no, I'm Like, you should do a book on this. I know exactly the perfect person. And I can tell you a lot of author acquisitions happen that way where it's just it's it's an owned voice who otherwise wouldn't be discovered because um, they're not famous for having had a direct experience with immigration or hmm. bereavement or emotions and yet it's something they know inside and out and so for me it's about finding that avatar that person who you know it's 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 apropos that you brought up ted um because my working model in my head is what's the thing that somebody would get asked to do a ted talk on what's that thing with five minutes notice that they would give a speech on because they know it front and back. Yes. Um, and so that's how we think about our authors, and it's and it's so fun to to find and discover these topics. And what's so cool is I, I am not without my blind spots. And so we have customers who reach out to us and go, "Are you working on a book about addiction?" And it's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, we should do that. <laughs> like that's a great topic." Uh, and and that's informed sort of where we're at today. And we we have so many more books in our roadmap i mean we'll have 40 plus books by the end of this year and we are just getting started like we are just scratching the surface on all these challenging empowering and important topics for kids
0: well i i i can't think of a better place to wrap up other than looking ahead to the future thank you so much for joining us here on Kid Lit These Days, Jelani. We will be watching, we will be reading, uh, and we will be sharing. Thank you so
2: much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: This episode of Kid Lit These Days is sponsored by Middle School Bites 2 by Stephen Banks and illustrated by Mark Fearing from Holiday House. Tom is back in Middle School Bites number 2, Tom Bites Back. Tom was bit by a vampire, a werewolf, And a zombie, right before the first day of middle school. Pretty rough. At least his classmates seem to have accepted him. There are some cool things. Tom has night vision, and he's super fast and strong. Maybe life as a Vam Wolf Zom will be as excellent as his best friend Zeke predicted. But when the bat that bit Tom shows up and speaks to him, everything changes, Tom's laugh-out-loud adventure continues as he navigates sixth grade, despite being the only Vam Wolf Zom in the world. This is, by the way, created by an Emmy-nominated writer for Spongebob, so if you want to connect the dots on where the zaniness and humor comes from, need look no further. That is uh, Middle School Bites number two by Stephen Banks and Mark Fearing. Thanks for sponsoring our show, everyone. So uh, it is time, our most wonderful time of the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> where we talk about books. It's our <laughs> book talk segment, Nicole. Uh, so everything that we mention... In this next section and everything we've mentioned already will be in our show notes at bookriot.com/slash listen. Find episode number forty-three of Kidlit These Days. You can also share your own book recommendations or ideas at hashtag Kidlit These Days on social media, or go ahead and email us at These days at bookriot.com. You might inspire our next episode, or you might even be our next guest who knows. Nicole, before we get into talking about all of the wonderful books you've also been thinking about, I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of select kids' book about titles. Because Oprah (laughs) selected some kids' uh, kid book talks because Oprah selected a kid's book about titles to include in her 2020 Oprah's Favorite a Things big list. big
1: deal. It's I a mean, big right? deal. <laughs> the one like, that... that's life goals, to be on Oprah's Favorite Things. <laughs> yeah, and, and this
0: company did in their first year of being out in the world. Oh, my god! I mean, come on. Incredible. So the books that Oprah included, um, or the, the, that she selected, include a kid's book about systemic racism, white privilege, belonging, empathy, optimism. Change, shame, gratitude, Ooh. bullying, and depression. And we're gonna give you the link to uh, to a kids book about homepage. That way, you can find the the many, many, many titles that they have there. We've talked about some on the show before. I'll also link. I I invited a number of the different authors to come on to the children's book podcast, my other podcast, um, to share in their own voice why they wrote these stories for children and what they would say to their childhood self, I thought it was a really wonderful conversation and would make a really good companion to our interview here. So I'll make sure I link that in the show notes as well. Uh, so that is, <laughs> there's 10 books to start us off. But Nicole, why don't you share what you have?
1: I will. So the first book I have, um, again, I was talking about death. And I feel like death is a thing that I find very challenging to talk to kids about. And that's death of a pet, death of, death of a loved one, a parent. Um, so I tried to pick books that kind of Helped address some of that, um, and so the phone booth in Mr. Hirota's garden is by um, Heather Smith, and it's illustrated by Rachel Wada, and it's beautiful. Um, first of all, the illustrations are gorgeous. It's like nice. in this like black and white tones, and then they have like a color on each page, right? Like the blue or the red. Um, but it's about the tsunami in Japan um, and the death of um, Mikio, I think is the name of the main character about his father and his neighbor. Mr. Hirota builds a phone booth in his garden. And then people who have lost someone to this tsunami can come and speak to their loved ones in this phone booth. And it is gorgeous. I cried multiple times reading that book. So, um,
0: Do yeah. you remember that story from This American Life?
1: No, I I'll didn't know it was the based. Link. Oh, okay.
0: I don't know that this book in particular is based on the real story, but th- they reported a real story of of a phone booth that was set up in someone's backyard and families... Oh families would come and pick up the phone and talk to their deceased loved ones oh. lost in the it's it's a it's, a, it's a
1: oh Matthew, i'm getting emotional. Boy. Ooh, Lord. so Lord when i Lord. Lord.
0: when i read that book which is a beautiful book i'm so glad That's you so chose good. it i was coming with that story in mind going this is the actual story of 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 many many people yeah mm. anyway i'll i'll link that in the show notes uh for for you to listen to, as well as other people. (laughs) Um, The one that I want to mention first is Just Ask, Be Different, Be Brave, Be You, by Sonia Sotomayor, illustrated by Rafael Lopez. This is a story that is told through many voices of children. A child, Sonia, first asking a question, um, because Sonia Sotomayor has uh, diabetes and has to, has had to take insulin ever since she was, I believe it was six or seven years old. I just finished reading the book to all of my classes. So I've read this book over and over and over. Um, but she, as a child talks about, you know, if you see, if you see me, ask me about what's going on. And then the child Sonia asks another question. Do you ever use a tool to help you? And then child Raphael, the illustrator, Answers that he has asthma and he uses an inhaler, and then he asks a question, which leads to another child answering and another question and another child, another question, another child. It's beautiful, beautiful book, um, and touches on um different points as using tools to get around uh for mobility because uh, an individual is blind, or um, using sign language or what it means to have Tourette's and to. Um, struggle to get a phrase out, but just wanting people to be patient. Uh, it's it's about communicating your needs and and asking questions and knowing that it's okay to ask and also that the individual may or may not feel comfortable answering you. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't ask. When we ask, we see people, and it's important. They liken it to a garden. It's important that our our garden that we all live in and are being raised in has many, many different varieties. We wouldn't all want to just be the same. That's a beautiful book. Just Love ask.
1: Love um, My next one is The End of Something Wonderful, A Practical Guide to a Backyard Funeral. I'm obsessed and, with this book,
0: <laughs> just so you know.
1: <laughs> it's by Stephanie V.W. Uh, Lucianovic, and uh, it's illustrated by George Ermos. And I just think... so. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast um, How to Survive the End of the World. I think it's uh, Adrienne Marie Brown and her sister. But there's an episode where the kids, uh, they lose a, like kittens. Some of the kittens pass away and they hold a funeral in the backyard for the kittens. And the whole episode is about the beauty of, the, of children being like, you know what? I want to mourn. I want to honor something. And I just think this book is such a silly, fun guide to like, hey, you had a pet pass away. You had a pet die. This is how you honor your something wonderful. Um, this is what you'll need to do. This is you need to find a box, but not a litter box. You need to find a shoe box to put your loved, you know, your loved, your precious thing in before you bury it. So I love this book, and I think it makes um, some of the hard conversations about losing a pet um, more manageable.
0: I will say, Nicole, I have never read a book about death for children that so beautifully handled it as this book. Uh, the space that it gives for humor as well as really flipping a light switch and going from from humor to deep sadness to back again and just over and over reiterating it's okay it's okay you might think about that something wonderful some other time when you didn't even Mm -hmm. realize you were going to think about it Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's okay it's so beautiful and it has what do the kids mourn the the different kids in the book it, it, the Something Wonderful is never named so that it can be anything no. for any child. But I think there's like a, a hamster and a cat and a dog and a, a turtle. A
1: bug. Somebody says yeah, a turtle. A pill bug? yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> it's really,
0: really beautiful and beautifully done. Just just expertly uh, handled. I, I thought it was wonderful. So um, the, the next book I want to share is another one I have brought up on here before, which is called Not So Different. What You Really Want to Ask About Having a Disability by Shane Burkot, It's illustrated by Matt Carr. This nonfiction picture book uh, is, is a series of questions and answers by Shane, who uh, was born with a rare disease called spinal muscular atrophy, uh, which hinders his muscle growth. And so, Readers will see through these photographs Shane's uh, arm bent up in a peculiar way or his body twisted in a peculiar way while he's in his wheelchair. Uh, But with such lovely, I don't want to say self-deprecating humor, but humor that sort of hits on the nose of, I know, you think, you think that this looks weird because your arms don't go like that. It's totally okay to ask me that. Here's why my body does that. But sort of addresses The almost absurdity of, why wouldn't you ask? I look different from you. Why wouldn't you ask me? Don't be afraid to ask me these questions. I thought it was so beautifully handled. It's one that uh, really stands out as, I think, a model for how uh, individuals can share their voices and welcome other people in and and really i i felt a whole lot of sheepishness for why haven't i asked it's ridiculous that i haven't asked questions about people that are that 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 look different from me including why haven't i asked can i help you or do you need my help and give space for that person to say no i'm good
1: yeah um, so that's I love- yeah That's not so different. Yeah, you shared that one before and I'm excited. I haven't, I still haven't read it. I have this habit, Nicole. I have this
0: habit of returning to the same books. Uh, No, but I think they're
1: good. Some of them hit, and I think it speaks to how some of them hit on so many different themes all at once, right? Yeah. (laughs) And when you're
0: weighing two books against each other, right? Like, well, there is this book that does this well. Yeah, but you know what? This one just really does it in such a, a gold standard way why wouldn't i mention that one first if you if you were only going to get one book from the library on this topic this is the one i want you to make sure you can find or or you know that's a bit hyperbolic but you know <laughs>
1: Um, So my next one is the one I was talking about at the beginning. I just downloaded this yesterday in preparation for this episode. Um, It's called Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson. So I'm not far. It's a novel in verse. And I'm just going to read for as long as... ZJ can remember his dad has always he has been everyone's hero, and as a charming, talented pro football star, he's as beloved to the neighborhood kids as he plays with as he is on his millions of adoring sports fans. But lately, life at uh, ZJ's house is anything but charming. His dad is having trouble remembering things and seems to be angry all the time. ZJ's mom explains it's because of all the head injuries his dad sustained during his career, but it doesn't make the sting any less real when his own father forgets his name. As ZJ contemplates his new reality, he has to figure out how to hold on tight to family traditions and recollections of the glory days, all the while wondering what their past uh, amounts to if their father can't remember it. And most importantly, can those happy feelings ever be reclaimed when they are all so busy uh, busy aching for the past? And so I picked this up because it just feels like so many different difficult topics embodied in one space, right? Like what happens when your parent, um, suffers an indi- in- uh, an injury, um, or has a new di- disability, um, that you haven't experienced before. What does that mean for you as a child? Also, Jacqueline Woodson is a star. So anytime I can read her, it's beautiful. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I just started this on one chapter in, um, and I'm loving it so far, but I, she's just got such a poignant voice. And I feel like this, um, this novel will be great for children who are maybe encountering changes in their the lives of their parents that they that um, they didn't expect.
0: Yeah, I think about how sometimes when there's a book that confronts a a, a more challenging topic, how we have a tendency to age it up, mm-hmm. and that's not that the author is aging it up, and that's not that a reader of whatever age couldn't use it. It's that it feels like we, the adult, age it up. Maybe as a An act of protecting the child or something? I'm not sure. But the next book I want to share is also a novel in verse and deals with a very challenging topic. It's called When You Know What I Know. It's by Sonia K. Salter. And it's about a girl who is sexually abused by a family member, by an uncle. And it is about the trauma that ripples after the incident and whether or not she had anything to do with why she was abused whether or not she should tell anyone what it means when her grandmother says that that she must be lying because you know her uncle would never do something like this what it means to have family members doubt you um but also what it means to have people who would never doubt you who show that they're always there for you. It's it's a beautiful and complex book. Um it's one that I have revisited I think I think 3 or 4 times. I have read this mm. book a lot of times. The audiobook is exceptional for it. Um I think the narrator does a beautiful beautiful job. Um but but one that I would challenge listeners to read this book knowing that it is it is not a book that needs to wait for a middle school audience it is a book that i would readily hand to a third or fourth grader who is asking questions and and needs to be seen or or needs to know that that their questions are being asked at just the right time.
1: Mhm. I, I just love that point Matthew because i think when we age it up we negate the stories of kids who are younger who are experiencing that, right? Correct. They don't see their own story, they don't see their own pain, they don't see a way to talk to people, to adults about it. Um, and when we have literature that feels like it speaks to their stories, no matter how painful those stories are, um, it matters. It matters. Agreed. Um My next book is The Science of Breakable Things by Tay Keller. Um, So when Natalie's science teacher suggests that she enter an egg drop competition, Natalie thinks that this might be the perfect solution to all of her problems. There's prize money. And um, if she and her friend wins, then she can fly her botanist mother to see the miraculous cobalt blue arc orchids, flowers that survive against impossible odds. Natalie's mother has been suffering from depression and Natalie is sure that the flower's magic will inspire her mom to love life again, which means it's time for Natalie's friends to step up and show her that talking about a problem is like taking a plant out of the dark cupboard and giving it light and with their help natalie begins an uplifting journey to discover the science of hope love and miracles um i haven't read this but uh, tay keller has gotten so many great reviews and when i ask people about difficult books one of my friends suggested the science of breakable things um books that talk about difficult topics um and that this story about a young girl um, trying to figure out how to support her mother through depression or whether or not that's even her job to do um, is just a really good one to add to the list.
0: I was going to say the same thing. I haven't read this, but it's been recommended so many times to me. And that always is something I listen to when when the reading community really gets behind a book that's beautiful. I'm so grateful that that Tay Keller authored this book. Um, The one I want to end on... Is one that also feels like a gift to readers. It's called "This Is Your Time," and it's a, a it is a book. I would almost more say it's a letter from Ruby Bridges to um, to her to children to her. I say to her readers, but um, it's uh, we 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 just passed since we last recorded. We passed the 60th anniversary. Can you believe that six zero the 60th anniversary? of um, of Ruby Bridges becoming the first Black child to integrate an all-white elementary school in New Orleans. Um, and this book uses a letter from Ruby Bridges, as well as historical photos to link the past to now. And she writes directly to her audience and it's beautiful. I've been reading it aloud to every single one of my classes as we kick off our mock CSK um, unit. And my my students know now what pages I cry on um, (laughs) because there's these moments there's there's, there. um, She talks about how I'm going to find this quote here. Um, She says, I felt safe and loved And that was because of Mrs. Henry, her teacher, who, by the way, looked exactly like the woman in that screaming mob outside Uh, two pages ago. um, We see Ruby going to school for the first time, and there's this striking photo of women just of of people but in particular of these women up front screaming at her as she passes Uh, god knows what they were screaming at her but to know that they were putting their hate onto a six-year-old child um this book is just laced with truth and power and strength and it's beautiful the way it draws from her experience and connects to now and affirms what children are going through right now and also how children are rising up and protesting all over the world it's beautiful beautiful book this is your time by ruby bridges i love that yay well uh nicole thank you for spending time talking about tough stuff with me i appreciate that
1: it's been so good to be back with you. Um, and yeah, even talking about tough stuff.
0: No doubt. Well, thank you listeners for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast. And we always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter.
1: And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at NY. Thanks to Dr. Baker for
0: sound editing on this episode. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. May your coming days be storied, and may those good stories keep on coming.